Well, often in February, I preached a series on marriage or how to have good relationships because people are thinking about relationships uh, more than other times because it's Valentine's Day, a day when we celebrate uh, someone we love or, or our husband or wife. And so I thought of it as important as an opportunity to speak on an issue that's important in the Bible, marriage, relationships, and so on. Um, because God calls us, he says, this is the second great, greatest commandment, to love one another. As I have loved you, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the Bible teaches us that this love that we have for others flows from our relationship with God. And that we need practical wisdom on how to implement it. And so that's why we teach on it. We don't just say, you know, it'll just happen by accident. We need to think through it. And God uses that to transform us. And he uses our work in seeking to love others. And he's working while we're working. But one thing I was thinking about this year was, what would Jesus do on Valentine's Day? If you're going to say, I want to do what Jesus did, what would Jesus do on Valentine's Day? Probably nothing. Probably nothing. He didn't have a romantic relationship. And he didn't get married. Now, I have met many people who have a deep desire in their heart to get married. And maybe Valentine's Day is actually a rough day uh, because of this desire, something you'd want to have. But but let's step back and say, do you think it would have been a rough day for Jesus? Probably not. Did Jesus live a very good and fulfilled life without marriage? Yes, we got to say yes, right? <laughs> That's Because we got to say Jesus didn't live a good and fulfilling life, right? Nobody's going to say that. He did, but he never got married. So what does that mean for us? Well, marriage is good, but it's not the be-all and end-all of all relationships. There's other aspects of life. And indeed, we've got to distinguish something that oftentimes we have trouble distinguishing today. There's Um, close companionship, and then there's romantic relationships. And in marriage, those two things can and should come together. But the life of Jesus tells us that you can have close companionship without the romantic relationship. The life of Jesus tells us that you can actually live a good life, a fulfilled life, without romantic relationships. But can you live a good life without close companions? And the answer is no. We're made for society. And Jesus did not let his singleness consign him to loneliness. He had friends, lots of them. And he had quite a few really close friends. So we can be like Jesus without getting married. But we really can't be like Jesus if we're not friend makers. Because Jesus was a friend maker, even though he never got married. But how do we do it? I think one reason we invest so much in our marriages today, so much expectations, and that's not, that's not, and that doesn't always work out well either. One of the reasons I think relationships, marriages often break up, It's because we load so much into them. It's such an important relationship, which it is. It's the relationship that should have the first priority. If you commit to it, that's the first priority in human relationships. 
But it's not the only relationship anybody should have. We should have lots of relationships and friendship. But today, people tend to put a lot of things that in the past people got from a variety of relationships into just marriage. And surveys have shown that people have less and less people in their lives who they say are their confidants, are their close friends. So how do we then learn to experience friendship like Jesus to live the good and fulfilled life that he has and to bless others. And that's what I want us to consider in this series, to look at the dynamics of Jesus' friendship, to see what we can learn from that, and not only learn about how we can be like Jesus as friend makers, but what it tells us about Jesus as a friend maker. How does it, what does it say to us about developing friendships? And what does it tell us about Jesus and our relationship with him? So this morning, I want us to see three things from this text. First, the gathering of friends. Secondly, what this tells us about friendship. And third, what this tells us about Jesus. In your bulletin, I have a brief outline of that. If you want to follow along, take some notes or keep that for memory. But we'll look at the gathering of friends, what this teaches us about friendship, and then what this teaches us about Jesus. Now, if you go back a little bit earlier in the book of Mark, you will see just actually one passage before we read, Jesus had aroused opposition. So, as he started to do his work, there were people who didn't like what he was doing. And indeed, they were even plotting to kill him. But at the same time, he also gained a lot of popularity. And maybe that was one also reason for the opposition. There was a little bit of envy, or a lot of envy. Everyone was coming to him because he was doing something very good. He was teaching them, he was showing them the way. And he was healing people. He was casting out the demons from the lives of people. He was bringing restoration and healing and giving people a sense of hope. He was giving people a sense of new life that they had not experienced before. And so our text tells us that people were coming from all over. And they just kept like coming to him almost like a magnet where they're ready to crush him. And so he had to actually literally get into a boat and move out into the sea and talk from the sea to the crowds, and to teach them and to explain to them what was going on. So there was a lot going on. There was a lot of work to do. So what was Jesus going to do with all this popularity, with all this work that he had to do? Well, he wasn't the only one interested in this work. There were other people around him who also cared about what was going on, who also wanted to see that restoration. He had disciples. He had followers who paid close attention to his teaching and sought to imitate his way of life. And so he got away with a group of those friends and he was able to interact with them. And then it says that he chose 12 of them. Now, why did he choose these 12? Well, our text gives us two reasons why he did that. He did it first to share the work because even though he was God, As a man, he was only in one place, and he could only be in one place and do the work that he could in that one place. And so he came to work together with these disciples, and these 12 in particular. And he gave them authority to preach, he gave them authority to heal, and he gave them authority to cast out demons. And so they were interested in what Jesus was doing, and so they got together to work together to bring about the the manifestation of the kingdom of God. So the first thing was doing the work together. And we'll come back to this in a second. 
But that wasn't all. It says in our text that he not only wanted them to preach and teach and do the work, but he says he chose 12 who would be with him. Who would be with him. Notice that. When, when he meets with them, he says that he wants them to be with him. To be his companion. To be the one who accompanied him. He wanted people who would experience things with him. Who would be there when he had to suffer and face opposition. Who would be there when he saw people healed. To experience his joys and his triumphs and his suffering. Humans are made such that they want to do things together. Imagine you had every material thing that you could possibly think of to make you happy. But then you find yourself completely alone in the world with absolutely no one to enjoy it with. It would be a miserable life, even in the midst of abundance. Because, indeed, our greatest good, apart from God himself, is to experience the companionship of others. And Jesus, as a real man, had real needs, and he wanted to develop those friendships where he would have companionship that would give him that joy of a fulfilled life. He needed that just like we do. So what does this tell us about friendship? Well, I want to point out something that, it, that you see in this text that is very important. And that is, friendships flow from common interests. Friendships flow from common interests. So that's the only thing I'm going to tell you about friendships today. Uh, friendships flow from common interests. I'm going to explain it a little bit, but that's it. Friendships flow from common interests. So that's what we're going to talk about. So where did Jesus get his friends? Where did he find this group of companions? He found them working together. He found them taking a common interest in what he was doing. He found them amongst the people who were looking for the fulfillment of the kingdom of God and believed that Jesus was the one who was fulfilling that and wanted to be part of that. That was where his companions came from. That's where the twelve came from. The people with whom he connected were the people that he was connected with in the work. And that's where his companionship came from. Was from people who did stuff together with him. And so it is with us. Friendship develops from doing something together. C.S. Lewis well-known Christian author from the 20th century, makes a great point. The very condition of having friends, he says, is that we should want something else besides friends. Friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. What he's saying there is the friendship comes out of getting involved in things. Finding an interest and then finding fellow travelers in that interest. Jesus developed, from fr developed friends because he was doing something in the world. And he found people who wanted to travel with him. And that's the context of his companionship. I just returned from the Dominican Republic seeing several students 
whom I consider to be very good friends. And so I was thinking about this series as I was traveling there to the Dominican Republic and visiting many people who are, who are friends, but then there's two p- people in particular who have been here the past couple summers and we've developed a strong friendship and I spent time with their families and got to know them as well. So I started to ask myself, okay, how did a friendship develop between, between us? And the answer is there was a common interest that brought us together. And what was the common interest? The common interest was they wanted to have a good experience in America and they wanted to be taken care of here and be able to do the things they wanted to do. And I actually shared that interest with them. And so I sought to help them be able to do that. I took them all over the county. I waited for hours while they shopped at Marshall's and Ross and everywhere else. And I would go alongside them and I'd answer questions. And that's how we developed a friendship, was our common interest in that. And then I realized, and what, was, what I was doing in the Dominican Republic was actually the same thing, but in reverse. I was wanting to experience their country and their culture, and, and they also were interested in showing it to me. So we had that interest together. <clears throat> so where they took me, that's where I went. And I tried to ask them questions and engage about that and find out about that. And out of that was a strengthening of our friendship. And so you see, that's how friendships are built. And so let me try to apply that to you <clears throat> in three different ways. So one, do you want friends? Well, I think all of us would say, yes, we do. We're not always sure how to do it or we're not always engaged in those activities that will gain it for us. But if you want friends, what you can't do is to say, I'm going to go find a friend. I can't just go up to a random guy and say, hey, buddy, would you be my best friend? It's just not going to work. They're going to think you're weird and the way you are. You need to have, you can't find friendship by pursuing it directly. The question to ask is, what am I interested in? And then you engage in that activity and you do it repeatedly and friendships will begin to develop. For example, we're interested in having a church here where we glorify God, where we serve one another and where we serve the world. And so that's what brings us together week after week after week. And as we engage in that, and the more we lean into that, the more our friendships develop it. I've been here now for eight plus years. And I've been working at this with, with a lot, everybody here to some degree, and some people a lot. And it's a context over like, now you look back and say, we've developed a strong connection over, that, over these many years. So you got to pursue something. And indeed, that's what you're doing today. And I'm giving you kind of perspective to say, that's kind of what you're doing here is you're giving yourself an opportunity to develop friendships. It's not the only thing you're doing here, but it's an opportunity. Secondly, which leads to that question, you can think if you want to develop friends, ask where are you already engaged in common activities? And so you want to say, where is the context for friends? What are you actually doing? Where are you volunteering? Where do you go on a regular basis? What is the, what is the sort of activities... 
you, you always are involved in every week. So can you lean into that a little bit more to develop friendships? So let's say um, you're volunteering at Upwards Basketball, um, which uh, some of us have done, or you're going there. So it's an activity that's in common on Saturdays throughout December through February. Well, who are the people around you? Can you engage them in conversation? Can you build up a sense of common activity? That's the context from which friendships can develop. Three, what activities could you do together that would develop friendships? So sometimes we say we want to do, we want to do ministry. And, and what, the problem we have here is we've got to do all this setup. And we've got to tear down. And so we can do ministry. I think that's the wrong perspective. Working together to set up and tear down is the ministry. Because it's the context in which we develop friendships is working together for the church. The set up and tear down is an opportunity. And let me encourage you. You can always come early. And there's almost always stuff to do. If we have to tear down, which is thanks be to God, is not every week. But we have to tear down. You could stay a little later and you can carry things over there. And it's an opportunity for building friendship. I, I'm Hello. How are you? <laughs> Speaking of opportunities to build friendship, it's like, come on in. Friend. Good little friend. Um, we love Lily. Um, I think it was a mistake that I made early on in my ministry. I would often think if I'm going to build a relationship or I'm going to disciple people, I need to like do something like an an activity, you know, that's separate from daily life or I need to go out to eat. And I remember one guy actually asked me to, to, to help work with him for a day. And I just said, no, I've got my work to do. And what I didn't realize is, no, that is the work. If I would have worked with him that afternoon, we would have had all kinds of conversations and interaction and built an experience that would have been a context for building a friendship that would have been helpful in helping each other grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. So what I want you to see is, see the opportunities. It, don't do something on your own that you can, that you can do with two or three people. Don't, uh, don't do an activity with two that you can do with four. There's an opportunity in the things that you're doing to build friendships. Now, let's move on then to consider, consider then not only what, what this tells us about friendship, but what this tells us about Jesus. Because I want you to see it's important for us to learn how to be friend, make friends like Jesus did, to get out there and do stuff like he did. But there's something bigger here. It's something that's really awesome. Jesus who was the king of the universe, come in human flesh, wanted friends. Jesus wants friends. That's an awesome and amazing thing. When you think, think about who we are and how great he is, we definitely wouldn't automatically say Jesus would want us as his friends. Why would he need us? What can we contribute? Besides that, well, look at all the things we've done wrong, too. Why would he want to come near and be our friend? But Jesus comes near and he wants friends. He doesn't run away from people. He comes near to people. And he gathers them. And he says, he takes some and he says, I'm going to make you my close friends. 
And that's what he wants to do. He wants to call you his friends. Jesus has come here to make friends of the people of this world. To make friends with you and with me. If Jesus had forgiven us for all our sin and, and that's all he did for us, we would be eternally grateful and never, and never have any reason, any end of our praise for all the goodness he'd done for us. But it's just that that's not all that he wanted to do for us. He says, I not only want to forgive you, I want to be your friend. I want us to work together in doing things together, big things together. I want us to experience what it's like to, to do things together over time and to build a companionship with you that flows out of that activity in the world that I want to see happen. Jesus is one who does not only forgive us or shower us with his love, he also wants to engage in us in side to side by side in activities. He wants friends. He wants to do stuff with you that is good. He wants to work on you, with you. He wants, to, he wants to work on you, with you, to make you the best person you can be. He wants to work with you, on your family, to help them become what he's called them to be and help your family be a place of grace. He wants to go with you and work with you on your job so that he's right there working alongside you. He wants to work with you in reaching out to those around you. You don't have to go alone. He says, I'll go with you. He wants to work with you in building up his kingdom. He wants to work with you to do things that will bless the world and glorify God. Jesus wants you as his friend. Flowing out of those common activities that we do together that develops a companionship. You see, Jesus becomes our friend. When we accept him as our savior, when we say we want him to be in our life, it's not just that we have him as our savior of our Lord. We have him as our friend. And that means he wants to engage with us to do things that bless others, bless ourselves, and glorify God. And as we do that over time, we've, we experience more and more the friendship of Jesus. And that's what he calls us into. To be more and more his dear, close friends and companions. I want to talk in the, in the weeks to come about more of what that means. What does it look like for us to live as the friends of Jesus and to experience the friendship of Jesus? But let's just stop there for now. And let's just revel in it. That the God of the universe became one of us to become a companion of us, to become a friend of us. To connect with us as a friend. That is a wonder. To be appreciated, savored, and enjoyed forever. Amen.